Hello, I'm Rachel Sandbrooks. I'm a writer and comedian, and this is the Stand By Your Nan podcast. I've been a wild rover for many a year, and I spent all my money on whiskey and beer. And now I'm returning with golden grace. Hello. Welcome to episode 5 of the Stand By Your Nan podcast. This episode is dedicated to food, baking and all things dietary. It's entitled The Grand British Bake Off. You know baking, that pastime you do with your nan that people only notice if poor Hollywood gives you a handshake. My nan was an actual baker by trade so I felt it only fair to dedicate some time to asking why it wasn't that valued and in addition why she was on a constant diet. To help me answer my questions is my special guest, Seattle-based artist Jackie Calladine, who also happens to be my cousin. So this is a special episode as two granddaughters talk about our nan and how she inspired us both with artistic endeavours. We're baking Shrewsbury cake from my nan Eve's stepmum, Alice's recipe book. Oh, that's more of a mouthful than the cakes. Jackie based an exhibition around the legacy of artisans such as Alice and my nan as well. So check out her work on Instagram at the Wild Creative Studio or at JK Calladine. And now for my take on a great bake. Anecdotes. Eve was a baker by trade. She had started as an apprentice hand decorating Kunzel showboats that were tiny chocolate sponge cakes and carried on working in bakers most of her life. There was never a visit without a tin filled with fairy cakes and she taught me how to bake from a really early age. Sponge cake is in my jeans. My bloodstream is filled with buttercream. But just like those jeans, I also inherited the middle-aged spread, though mine is Nutella. Nan left a diary of her daily intake of calories and every day ended with a tot of whiskey and a little fairy cake. I mean, she was kind of a cross between Oliver Reed and My Little Pony, but she lived till 98. Maybe she was pickled. And she was always on a diet that never worked. Oh, yes, she would say. You have to stir-fry vegetables with water whilst eating a beef-dripping sandwich. As she got older into her 90s, she got bored of the baking she'd learned as a trade and started to experiment. She decided to make some new flavours. One day we arrived in the back room to a table laden with cold meats and cheese and a freshly baked quiche. Can you guess the secret ingredient? she asked. No, I said. It's sardines and baked beans. I've been cleaning out the pantry. As we all knew, the pantry contained such old ingredients that that was also the place where great-grandfather George had left his World War I rations. Okay, maybe I won't have that one, Nan. How about bread pudding? She said, clutching a large slab of brown, but usually delicious bread pudding. It's the kind of thing they don't sell in Greg's because there's too many calories. It's got a sacred ingredient. Oh, I said even more warily this time. Is it baked beans again? Oh, yes, she said. And curry powder. The interview. I don't like the doing of cooking shows. I've like actually.
actually got a cooking show island thing. <laughs> actually do that. And you've even got room to put a little cooking with Rachel. <laughs> I know, it's exciting. It's like dream come true. <laughs> <laughs> even if it's just me and you. <laughs> right, I have to do stuff like make sure people know who we are and things. <laughs> so welcome, Jackie. <laughs> Jackie's my cousin. Where are you actually uh, calling in from? I am calling in from just outside Seattle, west coast of the USA. And I'm in South London, so it's a brilliant transatlantic. It is. <laughs> so yeah, we're eight hours different, so it's just coming, well, it's exactly 11am and I think it's seven where you are. Yeah, it's seven where I am. Yeah, kind of opposite ends of the day. How bizarre. <laughs> I know, I'm just starting and you're just finishing. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm doing the uh, Stand By Your Nan show as a podcast, as you know. I thought the thing I usually ask at the beginning of the interview bit is uh, to tell me a Nan story. But the thing is, we share the Nan. So, <laughs> so instead of that, I was wondering if you might um, say a little bit about the art exhibition you did. So mm. we both invest, in a way, explored a similar thing. Like we were both inspired by Eve Hines to do things. Yeah. Mine's this. <laughs> And what did what did you do? I did. So I did a visual art exhibition where I actually used some of Nan's own paintings. Um, and then I had those uh, digitally copied and blown up and printed onto large pieces of fabric. And then I worked on top of them. So I put in my own work on top of hers. And, um, and it was just really cool to do it. And I still have her paintings downstairs. And yeah, she's always there in the background as like a muse. And I think... As, you know, as we were growing up and we were in that house all the time, I wasn't really that interested in specifically in what she was up to, but her art was just always there, wasn't it? It was like yeah. the backdrop to that house. It was, she was making it on the table in the back and upstairs and then... It was on every wall of the house and leaning up the walls. There was so much of it. So I think subconsciously that just became part of how I knew her and how I remembered her, I suppose. Yeah, I'm the same. And I used to just go in and try and um, play with all her pastels and paints and stuff. And she was always like, oh, no. Yeah, as we are, we are as artists. We don't play, we're doing this is serious. So we've got, uh, so there's some recipes. So she was a cook in a house, wasn't she? You might know more than me about that because um, I don't really know. So Alice was in service, so she was a, a cook in a house. So this recipe book is really her working out the menus for the family for the next couple of weeks. So there's a lot of, um, you, you can see her thought process. She's, she writes things down and then she scrubs it out and, th and then rethinks it, which is nice. Um, but really kind of my interest in that was less, less of that's my family, but more about, oh, this is a woman at, that, at a particular time in history. And I was really interested in how she recorded little bits of information so in between her work, the recipes, you'll find something like her, what I assume are her measurements. So it'll be like hips, waist, bust. And I love that little sort of insight into her, into her. And it's yeah. exactly 
Well, I mean, Nan did that. She had so many little notebooks. I do exactly the same. I know yeah. my mum did. I know my daughter does. And it's interesting, isn't it, how we collect those little bits of information about ourselves quite randomly in little books. And perhaps it's more digital nowadays. I don't know. Um, but I've got millions. I have millions of notebooks. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. So I was really interested in that, in, the, in that book, less as, oh, that's my step-great-grandmother, but more, oh, this is a record of a woman's life at that time. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, just the idea of just the idea of being in service is kind mm-hmm. of just bizarre now. But that is, you know, that is where they came from, isn't it? She was in, she was in a house, she was cooking for other people, and then she, um, she got married and left and yeah. started cooking for her own family, I guess. So we've got, um, we've got the recipe that you sent me from the... Mm-hmm. Uh, thing. I think if we get started, because what I was hoping was we might be able to do it whilst chatting in the in the whole thing. Yeah, and I think even if super recipe is interesting because it's it's not sort of laid out as we would expect it nowadays. It's not as specific, is it? No. So it's just a slow oven, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. I have to work that out. <laughs> well warm the flour as well and I had to google about warming flour it is a thing I didn't realize seen that before in a recipe so yeah so it's a pretty standard biscuit recipe really but yeah an an English biscuit recipe I have to caveat this here that here because they only know cookies Um, so if you got started with the cream so we're going to cream butter and sugar so you cream the butter and sugar I, I always remember, like, I don't know if it was just because I cooked so many cakes with Nan, but I, I always remember the four-ounce rule. Like, you have four ounces yeah. of butter, four ounces of sugar, four ounces That's of flour. Yeah, the proportions. And I don't know if you can actually see that on your copy, Rach, but there is, in pencil by the side of it, she's actually put the proportions. Ah! So she's got one against the butter, one against the sugar, and then the two against the flour. So, oh, I see it's half a pound of flour. I've got that wrong, you know. I'm gonna have to put some more flour. I always found creaming the hard bit, isn't it? Trying to get it all. I have to do it by hand. It was just encapsulated. Never do it with a whisk. And and the weirdly, even though she would have done all this, and I can remember Nan being, uh, well, she was a baker by trade, wasn't she? So she knew how to make cakes, but neither of us really um, eat them as much anymore because you're vegan, and I I suspect you're quite healthy as well, Jackie. I'm assuming you don't have that much sugar. I don't know. Well, I mean, of course. Just because you're vegan doesn't mean you can't eat uh, rubbish food, because you can. <laughs> Substitute with stuff. But no, I mean, I do still bake a lot, but it's, it's for my own consumption, and it's more really for other people. So I, I enjoy making cake for other people. Anything nice to do on your birthday? Uh, well, I, I had loads of cake, but the thing is, I'm gluten-free, so I can't eat yeah. wheat. Um, and I don't know how... I just don't know how, like, if you did have a problem with wheat back in the day, how you would have got 
buy because I'm just, you know, if I eat wheat, I get really bad stomach pains and I swell up and things like that. I just thought the flour was uh, a lot better back then. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, I think if we if we spoke to Alice now and gave her our dietary requirements, <laughs> right? <laughs> Shocked. I mean, there's nothing in her notebook about, oh, so-and-so in the family doesn't eat meat or so-and-so doesn't eat gluten. It's just everybody got the same. Yeah, I mean, I think in the, I remember Nan in the 80s, though, there was always a fairy cake or a biscuit or something around... <laughs> like the bags of broken biscuits that you used to get if um that's like a lot of people i think in in birmingham remember that because um must do because of the cabri factory like she had a friend at the cabri factory and she'd come back with these kind of like two massive <laughs> kilogram like bags of biscuits and you and... been able to get them on the at the market as well didn't you the boring um... market. Yeah, we used to love those. I got always a cake. I remember in the pantry she had a tin, and there was always a cake in the tin. Yeah, I used to love that pantry. I, I talk about it quite a bit in the show, but like, um, just the things that were in there. Like, mm. I definitely remember that there was um, some World War One rations that yeah. she used to get. <laughs> I never found out what was in them. <laughs> But it was always like, oh, we'll, we'll eat that because it's in a tin. It'll be all right. <laughs> well, I remember there was always some concoction that she'd made. That sometimes worked, sometimes didn't. But there was always stuff like her own jams and her own chutneys. Do you remember the? Do you remember the wine? <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. She used to make her own bread that weighed like a brick, but <laughs> super healthy. Always remember um, dripping sandwiches after you'd have your <laughs> roast beef all day. And then just before you have your roast dinner, you'd have a dripping sandwich because it was warm in the pan. And Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we did that. Mum used to do that too. I think I've I think I've got creamed. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. And if it changes colour and it's whiter then Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going. Yeah, I still don't use like I've got an electric whisk and things like that, but I still don't use it because it kind of feels a bit like you're cheating somewhere. <laughs> And I think it was I think it was Nan that told me about the thing that like you put the egg in but put a little bit of flour in as well. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. I got I got my egg. And this is where I get my cooking show. So I've just added an egg. It's not beaten, it's just an egg. And then I'll oh and uh flavouring. So I got some vanilla. Have you got any flavouring? Have you gone for Caraway seeds. I've just got some vanilla bean paste. It's always really nice. So. 
I didn't have any fancy cutters. She says you have to cut out with fancy cutters after you've rolled it. But have you got anything like that? I've got a little a round polluted fancy cutter. <laughs> I'm just doing an upside down jar. <laughs> I am really fascinated by how they grew up because I know Grandad was in a like was in kind of back to back housing, wasn't he? He was. Yeah, I don't have a lot of information about that. Um, I think kind of when I did that art project and I was using some of the family references, I was I was trying quite hard not to make it too personal and about just our family. Um, so I didn't do a lot of research other than, you know, what was like there in my face and in all the, the books and reference material I had. Because I didn't really want it to become sort of like, you know, a personal investigation into my family history. I'm very much more about moving forward, you know, and I, I didn't kind of want to get lost in the whole history of, of Stuff. And I've also, the older I get, I realise just how much myth surrounds a lot of family issues anyway, you know, and it's really hard to actually find the truth about things. Yeah, so. I, th I think it's like, um, it is really hard, isn't it? And um, I was always thinking, like, even though I started this off as a kind of almost like a memoir show, because I wanted to talk about Nan's, like, slightly weird occupations that she got involved with, with her <laughs> spiritual things she yeah. did and I was really interested in that and then I realized that because she didn't really talk about it much mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of information <laughs> and, yeah. then, and it is like memory is so fallible and you know your your own family histories are to do with who's telling it like that's the perspective it's told from so I kind of, I as the more I've done this, even though obviously I, I really enjoy uh, the kind of social history aspect of it, like I like finding out a little bit about how people lived and things like that. It isn't, like you say, it isn't that cut and dried. It's more about what's the collective memory really, like what are our personal histories and how do we remember it? And it's, it's also really, when you're talking about grandmothers, you're really talking about yourself as a child. That's what I realised. Yeah, and also I think for me also, you know, who am I going to be as a grandmother, hopefully, if I am one in the future? But, yeah, because I, I think, I mean, for me, I was really interested in stuff like, you know, she started off one of Birmingham's recycling um, events you know that and that kind of side of things but I think when I talk to so when I talk to my mum about some of this I think for my mum as a child with Eva's her mum it was quite embarrassing for her because yeah. I think Eve, Eve did stuff that was different and and mum told a story about her having to go the other side of Birmingham to buy Nan some yogurt in a, you know, from a little <laughs> A little health food shop because yogurt just wasn't in your normal corner shop not like it is nowadays and I think mum just found some of that just really embarrassing yeah. no I remember that story I just thought I no, I it. so interesting isn't it you know I think that's really cool that she was like that 
but as the daughter, it must have been a bit embarrassing, just like we get embarrassed about our own parents and our kids are embarrassed about us sometimes. Yeah. You forget, don't you, that relationship? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and that whole thing about um, her being into yoga, that now, yeah. it just seems really normal, but I remember yeah. it back then. It was like, oh, no, she's so embarrassing, this kind of hippie. <laughs> that, yeah. Are you rolling out already? Are you there? I'm um, rolling out. Yeah, this might um, be because it's quite warm in here. My uh, my flower's not is gluten free, so it doesn't always do the business. But very short. Yeah, hopefully it'll it'll work. And then uh, yeah, I have to remember to keep talking. I'm going to have to do a lot of editing on this. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to talk. It's hard. Gordon Ramsay, eat your heart out. It's really good. Isn't it? <laughs> Um, things about her like she didn't really value her baking skills and all those kind of like women's work things they just weren't valued were they but now thinking about it, it's amazing I think it was just second nature wasn't it I mean I thought she was incredible for, for all the stuff that she did like you say going to yoga recycling all those her interest in spirituality but that and, and cooking and you know making everything from scratch and growing all the herbs in the garden on yeah. you know stuff that we perhaps we thought of as very forward thinking but of course you know she the, the time when she grew up that was just normal that's just what you did it wasn't weird that's what that's what you did like that wartime child and so you kind of have to see her life in context with um, what was happening around her. Yeah, because when you think about um, that she went through the Second World War and had... Did she have more than one child? She definitely had at least one child during the Second World War. That's, mm -hmm. That must have been really difficult. But I guess yeah. we've got a... Uh, yeah, it must have been so kind of anxious making but that was just something you did wasn't it, it was what people yeah. got on with it and yeah and what didn't she have them all at home Were they all, all three of them were born at home i think yeah so i mean i can't even imagine that now <laughs> just you'd, you'd, and it wasn't they didn't have the nhs did they so it would have just been well she you know talked about that so much did she she didn't really talk about well yeah, it was just something that she did, but she was very much that kind of pragmatic character, wasn't she? Mm. I know um, I know my mum always had like homeopathy and things like that, so I just think they used to have to do lots of um, herbal remedies or whatever else in order to get by. I'm yeah. not sure I'm going to be able to... Mine's kind of falling apart. Falling just press, you could just press it into a shape. I think it might have to. I've done. I've managed to use my jar. Oh, it's all, mine's all falling apart. Yeah, I remember she used to make a lot of her herbal remedies. Um, because I, I remember going round and she'd have some really foul-tasting things that she'd say, "Taste this." <laughs> some stuff she wouldn't even eat herself. 
but she convinced us it was good for us. Pint, was it a pint of green, which was cabbage water? Awful. I mean, she had a sense of humour about it, though. Yeah, she, she did. Like, oh, you must have this. And she, I think she'd giggle and laugh as we were trying it. So I think she was aware of uh, her own foibles. <laughs> yeah. but, but, you know, but now, you know, that would just be, she would be thought of as, that's just so forward thinking. That's just how we should be eating. Well, the hilarious thing was, I always thought that was a kind of strange thing to her, that pint of green. And then I went, um, I did the show in Brighton and someone in the audience went, oh, yes, everyone had pints of green. Like it was completely, (laughs) why are you talking about that? (laughs) Yeah, that's really interesting. What I do hope is that, that, well, number one, I eventually am a grandmother, but that um, my house feels as welcoming as, and as interesting as hers did. Because there was always something to look at, wasn't there? Yeah. I never, I never thought, oh, I've got to go and visit Gran. It was, it was always an exciting thing to do. Because I remember her reciting poetry and things all the time. Because she told me she wanted to be in the music halls, but she, she wanted to be... Lots of different things. I, yeah, I think that's great. Actually, reminds me of myself because I, I have that kind of you know I can't settle on one thing. So I'm going to put these in the oven for twenty minutes. Twenty minutes in a slow oven. Whatever that, that just means like look like. Well, I've got mine. Are you, are you in a gas oven? No, uh, no, it's electric. I'm going to put it on 140, which I think is quite low. It is low, yeah. So if I stick it in. Because I cheated and I looked up this recipe, a modern version, <laughs> and it said 170. Oh, right. But I am going to put mine in a little lower. Quite a lot of my dough has ended up on the, on the uh, rolling thing. But never mind. I'm actually going to put mine for 15 minutes. I'm not convinced it'll take 20. <laughs> I'm really interested in um, your wild creative uh, kind of projects mm-hmm. that you do, Jackie, that you're so kind of into ecology in the garden and using yeah. um, using stuff from the garden. And I do think that's something that comes from that generation as well, like making... Yeah vegetables and and you use them as dyes don't you in your well I do think that actually in a way none is the original wild creative when I think of you know if if there's a persona that's a wild creative woman it would be her but yeah I mean there's a little picture of me at I'm probably two years old and I'm picking petals off dad's precious roses that he loved to grow (laughs) And that kind of sums me up and, and what I've done with my art ever since, really. Because I used to, you know how you used to make that awful perfume out of rose petals and water when you were a kid? You thought it was great, but it was really horrible. And I, I, I'm still doing that now. I use petals and plants and I use them as pigments. Um, and I've, I use some minerals as well now. So I kind of developed a way of working that was very much in harmony with the earth and not not just using natural materials, but also trying to work with the actual timing of the seasons. So allowing myself some downtime in the winter and spring right now is sort of my my time for new ideas, working out 
right, what could I do this year? Who do I want to work with? What new things could I be investigating? And then in the summer, that's my growing time. That's when I usually make my work. And then autumn's very much about um, harvesting. So kind of reflecting on what I've done, sharing the work in community. And it's just given me a really nice rhythm to work to. And I think for so many years, I felt like I wasn't doing enough, that I didn't do enough work. I didn't produce enough. I didn't sell enough. I wasn't doing, making a piece of artwork every day like some people are. And I think social media has been awful for that as well because there's so many challenges now. You know, day-to-day challenge, make a piece of work every day. I I don't want to do that. I don't want to churn out work. I want to make things that are very meaningful to me and hopefully to other people. And I think sometimes you have to you have to slow down to do that. It's not about making art or writing or whatever you're doing. It's not about making as much as you possibly can. I think it's about making pieces that, um, yeah, are, are meaningful and have some depth and thought and, and love behind them. So, so since I started doing that, which I guess is just over, over 10 years now, Um, I feel like I just have a much better creative practice and and even if you know even if I don't sell a lot some years or I don't make as much one year as I do the previous it doesn't really matter because it's a bit like it's like growing your garden you know some years things bloom really well and other years they don't because of circumstances and what's happening and so I think I'm more accepting now of of my creative side and my practice and what I produce from it Uh, so it's definitely been a positive for me I just think that's wonderful what a great yeah and it's developed into all kinds of different things I do some workshops now and um, it changes all the time just as we do and just as our life does you know it's had to you, you, you don't stay the same person so I don't think your art should stay the same throughout your life getting these um, biscuits out so I've got two minutes left on my timer Ooh. but that was 15 minutes so or a minute now a minute left no mine aren't ready yet I think they look like they might fall apart <laughs> you've got yours on a lower temperature I've got mine at 170 oh have you okay well um yeah, so the, the last question I always ask everyone, which you've kind of answered anyway, but I, I'm going to ask it you again, is um, what kind of, like, old grandmother, if you became a grandmother, or um, what kind of uh, older woman do you see yourself cool. as? Um, I think if I, if I was like Nan, that would be perfect. <laughs> I'm getting more like her all the time. I mean, every piece of clothing I have has a little bit of paint on it. And I remember <laughs> that, even my best clothes. <laughs> um, yeah, I think well, just having a house, I think that's a home to everyone. I really feel that that was the case with her house. And that was one of the saddest things I feel when, when she passed away and that house moved on and I think we all said the same that was the party house wasn't it It was the house where everybody always gathered to be in the center of the family in that way and then um just doing what she damn well pleased (laughs) that was such a privilege for her and my time is going I think yeah spending spending my time doing what I want to do 
painting, um, walking, being in nature all the time, seeing my friends and family. Um, no huge aspirations, really. I mean, I, I don't know if Nan had anything that she never achieved in her life that she really wanted to do. She never expressed that, did she? She was well-travelled. And she went to art school later on in life. I think it was she was in her 60s when she went and studied. So I think yeah. she did everything that she wanted to do. She got a degree in her 80s, I know that much. That's then... right. It took her that long, 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> the, there was one thing that she never managed to do, because she told me about it, apart from being a musical performer, was what she wanted to be when she was little. Um, the other thing was she wanted to be a clippy on the buzzes. <laughs> yeah, so I did a poem about that. People love it. And I just thought, yeah, it's really bizarre. Oh. She told yeah. me that she wanted to be a clippy. Um, when, because of um, World War Two coming in, um, the women were going to do the men's jobs, but then she got pregnant, so she could never do it. Oh. <laughs> but then I thought, isn't that weird? Like you didn't really value all the 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 baking that you did, and because she used to work. Um, Mum told me this actually that she decorated Kunzel's uh, showboats, and uh, like that was just a trade, whereas yeah. being Clippy was like the, yeah. <laughs> the dream. So, yeah. yeah. I guess because being in the kitchen, that was woman's work, wasn't it? And yeah. it wasn't seen as something that was valuable. Yeah. But as we can as we can see, it's still valuable, however many hundreds yeah. of years. Well, let's see how edible these are. How edible these Shrewsbury cakes are. <laughs> my phone has just gone off, so I'm going to check mine. Oh, we'll get them out and then... Um, We'll see how they are. Let's see how if mine have worked. This quite short, very crudely. Come out, mine haven't, so I'm just going to leave them in there. Um, for the family of the big house to eat later. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a look at yours. Can we see one? Can you see them? Oh, wow. They look great. A couple of minutes to. Well, actually, you wouldn't have had them browned, so I think they're fine. I might sprinkle them with a bit of sugar. Fantastic. Thank you to my guest, Jackie Calladine, my cousin and brilliant wild artist. You can find her on Instagram at JK Calladine. We did both bake those Shrewsbury cakes and they were delicious. So I will be posting the uh, recipe for that on the podcast website, standbyyournan.podbean.com. It always annoyed me that Nan was on a diet, even in her 80s. I thought it suited her to be rotund. She was quite obsessed with health food, though. She just wanted to be healthy, and she ate fresh veg from the garden and a lot of cake. But I think she was healthy in her way. She did keep going till she was nearly 100. Perhaps we've moved too far away from fresh food and freshly baked Shrewsbury cakes. I'm off to eat mine with a nice cup of tea and think about growing my own veg. It's the little things. Terraria bit. Stand by your nan has been written and performed by Rachel Sambrooks, co-produced with Steve Keyworth, and with music by Lewis Barfoot. It's a Gerty Words production, funded by Arts Council England.